Welcome to Ride Ever Stride, Episode 10. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis. This is a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I'm here today with Master Horseman Van Hargis, and we're going to talk about a couple of things horses do that scare us. Yep. Okay. Well, Laura, you know, it's, it's amazing. I um, get some phenomenal questions over the years and, and, and there's some that just pop up more times than others and are more, you know, more frequently than others. And one of the ones that I get is that, what do you do with about the horse that bucks or the, what about the horse that rares? And, and out of all the problems that we get, not necessarily the problems, but the things that scare people, those are the two that rise to the top. Well, I mean, you can see why. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, i been doing this for years and I don't like for horses to buck. And it's not that I, you know, in most cases I can count probably the times on two hands out of 40 plus years that I've actually been bucked off, but I'm still afraid of it happening. I don't like it. I, I can ride a bucking horse to a certain degree. It's just not my choice. And I know that if I don't ride it, it's probably going to hurt, you know, so I, I can certainly understand for the folks that are probably even less experience, how it could be fearful for them. So I thought that would be a great thing for us to, uh, to, to address today. And in doing that, I want them to understand again, you know, you know me from the horse's perspective. So I want them to understand that, yeah, it might worry you, but let's look at it from the horse's perspective. What, what causes them to buck in the first place? And for those of you who have seen me work before, you know, I've done a lot of cult starting demonstrations over the years and I'm happy to say that I disappoint a lot of people in that cult starting thing because I think a lot of people show up not to necessarily learn how to start a cult under saddle or to discover the the horsemanship aspect of starting a horse. They want to see a rodeo. They want to see me get bucked off, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's the sad part. I know what they want. But uh, it's pretty uneventful because I think I can count on one hand over all these years how many horses have actually bucked with me in public. And uh, it just doesn't happen very often. So why doesn't it happen? Am I just lucky? You're just really, really really good. (laughs) I I think the deal is that it goes back to a story that I can remember many years ago. I've had people think that, wow, you know, you're, you're pretty lucky. And I used to be offended by that. Quite frankly, people would say, well, you're, you're lucky that horse didn't buck with you or you're lucky you didn't get bucked off. And uh, there was a rancher I used to do a lot of work for many years ago. He used to start a lot of his cults. And I was kind of sharing that with him one day that, you know, I've been doing these cult starting things and traveling the country. And, you know, I kind of got started in the Northeast Texas area. So people were using that luck word quite a bit. And I was sharing with Mr. Ingram that that kind of bothered me. And he said, you know, Van, it used to bother me a lot too. You know, people would say I was lucky. And uh, they were saying he was lucky because Mr. Ingram's ranch was just beautiful. It was one of these places that it really looked like it'd almost be a show place. All of his fences were all very well kept and even the grass and weeds underneath the fences were just non-existent. He did a great job of keeping everything cleaned up. Um, everything on his place just looked very pristine, more like a show place more so than a ranch. And uh, he said he went one day to the barber shop and was getting a haircut. And as he walked in, everybody said, yeah, here comes that lucky Mr. Ingram. And he said it really bothered him. And uh, one day his preacher told him, says, Marlon, you shouldn't let that bother you said, it shouldn't bother you because if you just understood what luck really means, 
You see, the definition of luck is where preparation meets opportunity. So you're not really lucky that your place is clean. You have the opportunity to clean it and you take advantage of that and you prepare. Therefore, when your clients come out to buy your cattle and buy your horses, your place looks good. So it's not that you're luck. It's just that you're taking advantage of the preparation and opportunity. And I got to thinking about how I can apply that to the horse thing and how I start these colts under saddle and very few of them ever buck with me. But you know, Laura, I spend a lot of time getting the horses prepared because I understand what causes horses to buck in the first place. Well, it's fear. Horses buck because they're afraid. Don't get me wrong. There, there, there are times where they could actually learn. It's a learned behavior to a certain degree, but for the most part, horses buck because they're afraid. And when I'm starting those cults under saddle, I address that fear and I do it in stages and steps that gets the horse to where he's very confident in me, very confident in the things that I'm introducing to him, even if it means introducing a saddle pad, a saddle, and ultimately a rider. So they begin to let go of that fear and gain more and more confidence and don't feel that the need to buck is a viable option for them. Well, well, let me ask this. You say that it's they're, they're bucking because of fear. What are they afraid of? It could be a, an array of things. You know, the, the, what they're afraid of is the inability to flee. More times than not, they want to just get away. Because the horse's first instinct is to flee. They want to get away from whatever it is that's bothering them, whatever is spooking them. You could be riding a horse and a limb snap up in an oak tree. And if that horse startled at that moment in time, our first instinct is to do what? Not let the horse bolt away from us. So we want to hit him in the face with a bit and yell woe at him at the top of our lungs and poke him in the ribs with our feet at the same time. So that restraint that we're putting on them not only compounds the surprise, but it also restricts their ability to flee. So the horse wants to do what? He wants to get rid of whatever it is that's restricting him so that he can do his first instinct, which is to get away. So we we simply just have to understand that. You see, fear is very, very natural. It's It's a very natural thing for all of us. And I'll give you an example, something for me personally. I've never had a horse, or I'm sorry, I've never had a snake bite me. I've never had a bad experience with a snake. I've had very few, even spooky occasions with a snake. But yet, as soon as I see a snake, I flinch. Even if you told me, hey, Van, right over there behind that tree, there's a dead snake. Now, I trust you, so I know that I believe you when you tell me there's a dead snake over there. I believe that he's actually dead, but yet as soon as I see the darn thing, I flinch. So it's natural for us to have those fears. Now, over the years, I've learned to manage that fear. Even if I do see a snake, I just don't take off running and knocking people over and everything to get away from the darn thing. I just simply flinch, gain control of myself and and go on about my business. Believe it or not, we can actually train our horses to do the same thing. Their instinct is to flee. What we have to do is teach them to manage that fear, to manage it to the point where they don't feel the need to flee. It's almost like we want to teach them to be afraid in place. And that's a process that just takes a little bit of time. So whenever somebody tells me that they're riding their horse and all of a sudden, for no reason, the horse just bucked. Well, first of all, I never believe the all of a sudden and for no reason thing. But if the horse bucked, what that tells me is that that, is an indicator that we need to spend more time on teaching our horses how to manage that fear, manage that that issue. Now, there's another reason why horses buck, and that's pain. If they are hurting somewhere, it generally causes the fear, and then that fear will instigate into that need to buck. 
But if we just address those things, number one, the first thing, of course, is just the fear. If we can just to teach the horse how to manage their fear in place, manage the fear while they're doing whatever it is that we're asking them to do, then suddenly we can take away that instinct, I guess you could say, for them to follow up by bucking. So what if you have a horse that has already, I mean, do they develop a, a habit of bucking in response to things? What do you, what do you do with a horse that's, that's doing that? I, I like to get practical. What, sure. what can they take out to the barn and, and put to work? Well, the, the sad part is, is that bucking can be a learned behavior. Sometimes we confuse a horse kind of kicking out and protesting as a buck. Sometimes horses truly do just put their head down and go to bucking with us. So we need to, number one, be able to recognize those. And the hard part is, how do you overcome it? How do we overcome that is if we have to recognize the fact that if it has developed into a learned behavior, that you, let's say, ask a horse to lope. Every time you ask a horse to lope, he starts trying to pitch up and buck a little bit or kicks out. Whatever you want to define as a horse bucking. I don't necessarily def- define a horse kicking out as bucking or even just pitching up a little bit as bucking. I view that as a little bit of a protest. But the protest gets more severe because of the way we inadvertently reward the horse for doing that behavior. For example, let's say we're going to kick a horse up into the left lead. So we're bumping on pretty good with our right leg and the horse doesn't like it. So he kicks out. Might spook us a little bit because we felt something very unusual happen. So a, a very inexperienced rider or sometimes even a novice rider that got kind of caught off guard might do this Ooh, and pull their horse over to a stop. And then he looks around all of his friends. Did you see that? Did you see my horse buck with me? Did you see my horse pitch? Meanwhile, the horse is resting. So if we truly understand how horses learn is through the release of pressure. So we're asking them to do something more strenuous. We're putting pressure on them with our outside leg. In other words, we're squeezing them off into a trot or I'm sorry, into a canter. And the horse kicks out. That scares us. So what do we do? We quit asking and we do even worse. We pull the horse over to the side and we let him rest. So we've not only released the pressure from the task we're asking, but we've also allowed him an opportunity to rest. Horses being very smart, they think, hey, really, that's all you want me to do is just kick out. I kick out. You stop. I get to rest. Hmm. I can do that. Sounds good for me. <laughs> so they get better at it. So a little bit of kick. And even if they've got something like myself saying, look, Laura, you just got to ride him through that, right? You just got to keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, he may kick out, but just expect it. He's put his cards on the table. You know he's going to do it. Just sort of ride him through that. So you try that, but the next time he bucks up harder. And you're probably going to look at me going, see there, I told you he's going to buck again or kick out again or whatever. So what do you do? You take the pressure off. You pull him over to the side and you let him rest again while you're explaining to me how bad he just did it the last time. The horse is again is going, hmm. So the first time I just kicked up a little bit, the second time I kicked up a little bit more, both times I get to rest. So what do you think is going to happen the third time? He's probably going to do it better again. So even if you try to be determined to ride him through it the second and third time, he's probably going to just keep getting better at doing it unless you follow through by riding him through it. Or if you are going to regain your balance or whatever it takes to help you regain your composure, don't let the horse rest while he's doing it. Keep pressure on him. Keep him doing something that's strenuous, that's that's bothersome to him, either either mentally or physically, to the point where he says, man, that wasn't a good idea, and he doesn't want to try that again. Worst case scenario, he just tries to find something different. Best case scenario, he just realizes, ah, it's not worth the effort. It's not worth arguing about. I think I'll just go ahead and do the task. 
So see, we need to recognize the fact that horses bucking is, is a natural thing in the very beginning. In this most innocent stages, it's very natural. And in the other end of the scale, it is a learned behavior. But let's address, if you will, Laura, the natural one, the, the one that's a very instinctual thing. I'm going to address that just a little bit more, just so people can understand where the behavior comes from. And with that knowledge, hopefully it'll empower them to hopefully overcome it and take the steps to overcome it. And it's not about riding the horse through the buck. It's not about riding it and just, you know, cowboying up and being a bronc rider. It's about preventing it from happening in the first place. So sometimes preventing it means we have to have a better, clearer understanding of what it is. To me, bucking simulates and helps me recognize what I call a horse's stages of death. Okay. Now recognize the fact that horses are prey animals. For years and years and years, they were preyed upon by things big enough to eat them, whether it be a lion, a tiger, you know, a mountain lion, a bear, even a human. So a horse's first instinct is to run away from that beast, whatever it is that may be chasing them. But if you will, take yourself back and think about watching a wildlife channel and think about watching maybe something that uh, that maybe simulates or, or could be similar to what a, a horse would be, let's say a zebra, and a zebra is running from a lion. In other words, it's doing the instinctual thing. It's running. It's trying to bolt away from the lion, trying to get distance between the lion and itself so that the lion can't do the second thing, which is to take its feet away. Because if you'll, again, picture that, the first thing that happens, the lion bolts out after the, after the zebra. The zebra tries to flee. As it's running, it's being pursued by the lion. If the lion gains ground on the zebra, the next thing that takes place is the lion swats at its hind feet, at the zebra's hind legs. More times than not, that's going to cause the zebra to stumble. Sometimes just stumble and slow down enough that the lion can mount it from behind. It'll mount it either on the butt or it'll sometimes jump all the way up onto its back. Well, the lion can't necessarily take the zebra down from its back, but now it's like where we might be. It's on its back. And then from there, it holds on the best way that it can until it works its way around to putting its muzzle, its mouth on the zebra's neck or its muzzle. The point of that is, is that we want to squeeze or the, or the lion at that stage wants to squeeze the air, squeeze the life out of the zebra. So it squeezes and bites down on the zebra's esophagus the best way that it possibly can until eventually it closes off the airway and the zebra basically suffocates to death. Or another thing that happens is that a lion will put its entire mouth over the muzzle of the zebra, shutting off its airway. So again, the, the zebra suffocates. So let's think about how we train horses. Sometimes, you know, maybe in a wilder scenario, we chase it. And then you might see an old cowboy. Just visualize this, if you will. Just to see an old cowboy running in behind it on another horse, and they rope it. You may not necessarily be mounted on its back, but you skip that stage and you go just to the stage of suffocation. Now, just imagine what the horse is going through. The horse is thinking, oh, man, I've got to fight like crazy because if I don't fight through this and survive this, then I could be suffocated and I could be consumed. I could be eaten. So you can't blame the horse for fighting for all it's worth at that point in time. So now there's not that many people go out there and rope wild horses anymore. So let's kind of put it back in today's deal. Most of the time it starts off in a round pen. So we run a horse around the round pen for a few minutes. We finally get the horse to trust us to the point where we can maybe put a saddle on their back. The horse trusts that. Maybe even to the trust us to the point where we can even get on its back. 
but something along the way might startle the horse or spook the horse just enough to cause the horse to flinch and maybe even to bow up as if they're going to buck. And then what do we do? We pull on the reins or the headgear. It may not necessarily be a bit or anything like that, but we pull on their face and we put our heels Clamp on with our legs. In, yeah. in our, into the rib cage. Hmm. wonder how that could simulate how they might be attacked by a predator. So we then have to kind of do the opposite. We have to retrain ourselves not to do what comes natural to us, but what does the unnatural thing. We feel the horse flinch. And rather than reprimanding the horse or jerking on the horse or scaring the horse worse by pulling on the bridle and gripping our legs on there tighter, maybe if we just did the opposite, relaxed our hand just a little bit, made sure that we didn't pull on the horse immediately, and at the same time relaxed our seat and relaxed our feet and kind of melted down in the saddle. Give the horse a chance to redirect that fear. In other words, don't make it worse. Just give him a chance just to kind of redirect that. If the inevitable is true and the horse is going to buck, then of course I would I would encourage somebody just to reach up there, grab the horse's face, and pull it around a little bit with via the rein or the bit or whatever you've got on the horse's face. But by all means, try to keep your feet out of his ribcage. And the reason we want to do that is that we don't want to reinforce that instinct of him being attacked and that instinct of him wanting to go to that next stage and buck or do whatever it takes to get rid of the predator on his back. Give him an opportunity to, worst case scenario, maybe just flee. And sometimes their flea may be nothing more than just a few short steps. But in my opinion, a horse taking a few short steps fast or quicker than what I really anticipated is a lot better than just dropping their head down and, and, and bucking. So the, the whole point is we have to sometimes train ourselves to do the unnatural thing because we have to understand what's going on in the horse's mind, give the horse a chance to go back to his training and managing his fear as opposed to compounding it and making the stimulus, if you will, so overwhelming that he can't overcome that, that instinct. I guess what I'm thinking as you're saying that is that's e- easier said than done because it is so counterintuitive to relax when a horse is about to do something that could, I mean, you know, maybe you can ride your horse through a buck. I, I don't know that I could. And so it's very counter, counterintuitive for me to hear you say, just relax your seat and don't grip with your legs. I mean, it's maybe it's my own fight or flight response of I'm about to die. You know? uh, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, that's why, you know, when I hear people talk about natural horsemanship, I mean, I love where it's gotten us today. But I also look at that and think, wow, it probably couldn't be a more incorrect term, except for this. I think that the more we learn about horses and the more we learn about how horses communicate and the more we learn to to see things from their perspective, it validates natural horsemanship to a certain degree. But let's face it, when we get ready to put ourselves on horses back, that's not natural for the horse, nor is it natural for us. And I'm not knocking the term. I just want people to be realistic about the fact that We have to retrain ourselves as humans and retrain ourselves as riders not to do what comes natural to us unless we can handle what is going to come natural to the horse. You see, so we have to retrain ourselves not to compound what comes natural to the horse because we can't handle, most people can't, we can't handle how the horse is going to respond. Therefore, we have to do all of our due diligence to, number one, retrain the horse from the ground long before we ever get on his back to learn how to manage his fears, desensitize him, teaching him 
to be fearful in place, if you will. To, so we have to retrain our horses to become responders as opposed to reactors. And we can do that from what I call controlled wrecks. Create scenarios with your lead rope. Create scenarios with a flag at the end of a stick. Create scenarios with a tarp in your hand. In other words, all of these things that are so-called spooky to horses and would make them want to flee and could possibly even escalate into fleeing and then bucking. If we could retrain that horse to respond as opposed to react naturally, then we are basically increasing the odds that the horse won't buck when he is presented with that type of situation. So number one, that's training them. The other thing is we have to retrain ourselves. We have to retrain ourselves to do the same thing respond rather than react. Our reaction is to flinch and to, to protect ourselves very, very quickly. So we, what we need to do very, very quickly is evaluate the situation very quickly. Is, does this require us to respond absolutely immediately? And if so, a natural way or an unnatural way? The natural way was for us to do all the things that we know is going to cause the situation to get worse, such as pull the horse to keep him from bolting away and grip hard with our legs. But yet the opposite needs to be true. We need to retrain ourselves to release our hand and to what I'm going to call widen our base. And here's what I mean by widen our base, Laura. If we do what people tell us to do, you think about when I watch kids ride for the first time and here's an inexperienced parent letting their kids take a riding lesson or sometimes maybe just taking their kid to the, to the fair and letting them ride the little pony going around and around on the, on the thing. And what do parents tell their kids to do is wrap your legs around and hold on tight, little Johnny. The problem with that is that becomes that kid's first instinct to do when something goes wrong. Oh, you got to squeeze tighter. You got to hold on tighter. But yet the problem is if you put your feet close together as if you're squeezing something, and if some wise guy like me was to walk up to you and push you really hard in the shoulder, I'm probably going to be able to tip you over pretty easily. But if you do the opposite of that, that if you widen your base, in other words, spread your feet out a little bit wider than normal, And then when somebody like myself comes over and pushes you really hard in the shoulder, your feet are wider. You've created a wider base. So therefore, the likelihood of you being tipped over is a lot less. Now, let's think about sitting in the saddle. If we sit in the saddle and we grip our horse, we've actually closed our base. We've Our base can only be as wide as the horse is big around. That's the first mistake. Then the other thing is, is that if we do the opposite of that, in other words, we widen our legs out to where they're and put pressure in our stirrups. Now we've widened our base. So if a horse bucks at that point in time, we've got our feet nice and wide. We can handle the horse going left or going right. Or in other words, just keeping our feet from being underneath us. So by relaxing our legs, widening the base, as you put it, that helps us maintain balance absolutely. in the saddle better, yeah, no matter what the horse does. Absolutely. At that point. You, what we've done in that situation of we've, We've created a more stable place for us. I mean, it's easier for us to have weight on our stirrups than it is for us to to almost let go of our stirrups and grip with our legs. So we want to widen that base and put pressure down in those stirrups so that kind of helps us and not press put pressure so hard that it pushes us out of the saddle. Just spread your legs enough to where you're, you've got that nice wide base and your foot, your feet are balanced in your stirrups. And again, imagine that happening when something suddenly happens. It's not going to happen. So I, I tell people again: if you've done your due diligence with your horse, due diligence with do due diligence with yourself as well. Practice that on your own. Just pretend that when I'm, you're riding around the house, or riding around out in your own arena, or riding out in your own pasture, create something in your mind and widen your base. Uh, practice that. 
practice what you think may occur out in the trail or in the arena or whatever. Practice those things at home and in a more comfortable position instead of waiting for it to happen and then finding out how you react. So we, so those are just things that I like to try to think about. The other one that really spooks people, and we'll talk about the bucking thing a lot more if people would like to, but another thing I want to address is the horses that rare. Rearing up, and I've been doing this for years, but yet when I have a horse rare with me, that scares me worse than a horse bolting or bucking with me in any time. Why is that more scary to you? Because it becomes so much more unpredictable. When a horse rears up, number one, it's a very unnatural thing for a horse to do. If you watch horses in the wild or you even watch horses in your own domestic environment, the only time they rear is when they're playing and sparring with other horses. Therefore, if they feel so desperate to do something that is so unnatural for them to do, then that means that they are doing something very unpredictable and something they're probably not very skilled at doing. So when they rear up and they're on their hind legs, if they're on their hind legs, they also can't bolt away. So that goes to show you how unnatural this behavior is. The other thing that scares me about is when horses do rear up and it's unpredictable for them, because they're not very good at it, they're not very practiced at it, it's unpredictable to me because I don't know if are they going to fall to the left, are they going to fall to the right, are they just going to go back down to the ground, or really worst case scenario, are they going to flip over backwards and land on top of me? And sadly, I've seen that happen with people. So whenever I see these things, I realize how potentially dangerous those are. I don't know what the stats are, but I'd be willing to say that probably more people have been hurt pretty badly with horses rearing up and flipping over on them than they have by being bucked off of them. So when a horse rears up and I realize that's very unnatural for them and I don't want them to flip over on back of me. So we have to stop and think, well, again, what causes the horse want to rear up in the first place? And usually it's a very desperate effort to be evasive, that we're doing something that the horse feels as if there's no other way to escape than to go up. And more times than not, it has to do something with us doing something with our hands in their face, whether it be the, you know, agitating the horse too much with a bit uh, pulling on them, jerking on them, doing whatever you want to call those things that we might do with our hands to a horse's face that would may cause a horse to want to rear up. So when a horse rears up, we've got to realize that because it is so unnatural, it's almost always a human-caused response or reaction. So we have to think to ourselves, number one, what caused it and what can we do to prevent it? The simple thing to do is keep the horse moving forward. Because if, if we are frustrated while his feet are still and we keep pulling on him, rather pulling him to the left, pulling him to the right, or jerking on him or whatever else, and the horse starts to tip up, then what do we do most of the time when a horse begins to tippy-toe or rear up on their front on, the, on their hind legs? Most of the time we release the pressure with our hands that's causing the horse to want to do that in the first place. So how do horses learn? Through the release of pressure. So the horse begins to rear, and it scares us because we don't want him to do so, so what do we do? We take the pressure off their face. The moment we do that, the horse thinks, really, that's all you want me to do is tippy-toe or rear up? I was just about to do that anyway because I was so frightened or frustrated. So the horse gets pretty darn good at it. The next time we get put them in that same scenario, they'll probably seek out that answer quicker and quicker. And even to the point where they get better and better. They might even get to the point where they rear up higher and higher. So they even think in their eyes, because of the way we inadvertently reward them, that we want them to rear up higher. We want them to do more. We want them to be anxious. We want them to be upset. We want them to be frustrated. We want them to seek out that relief by rearing up. So horses now scare themselves even that they don't want to rear. 
I can't imagine a reason why they would want to do that unless it's just to get rid of us and get rid of that deal. But most importantly, I think it's the other way around. I think they're wanting to please us. They just don't understand why. And we have to realize that that's a vicious circle there. You know, we're, we're inadvertently causing the horse to seek to do something that we don't want. But then when the horse does that, we inadvertently reward them for that behavior, which just causes it to escalate and get even potentially more and more dangerous. So the simple solution to that is, is that if the horse is making the threats to, to rear up, then we or have to, to buck or to buck. But in this case, if he's making the threats to rear up, the first thing we want to do is get forward movement out of him. Because if his back legs are driving his body forward, now he has nothing to stand up on. So we want to get that forward movement first and then control that forward movement. Now, talking about the buck, if we've got a horse that's thinking about bucking and maybe he's uncomfortable, maybe he's, maybe he's frightened and he's that you can just feel that buck coming on, then of course I want to turn the horse and still keep that back end engaged, keep the back end driving forward, but I want to turn him, turn him to the left or turn him to the right. And the reason why is when we turn the horse, that's going to cause his hind legs to cross. It's very difficult for horses to buck with their back legs crossed. So the more I can control the horse's nose, the more I can control the horse's hips, I make it much more difficult for the horse to buck. And as a result of that difficulty of him doing what he thinks he needs to do, he'll think that's not a good viable option. He'll seek out to do something different. Our goal is to let him seek out that what we want from him is usually what he thinks he needs to do. And as a result, it'll hopefully, rather than escalate, it will go the opposite direction for us and the horse will calm down and settle. But what we have to be very conscientious of is not making the situation worse by compounding it, by restricting the horse more, surprising the horse with our hands or our feet, or letting our frustrations on the, on the horse that's maybe potentially going to rear compounding it by pulling on them harder or letting our frustrations be taken out through our hands and into the horse's face and to just go back to getting the horse moving forward instead. So forward movement to me is the answer to so many things. It's, it's, um, if I can get the horse to move forward, then suddenly I, I make things much more predictable for myself as well as for the horse. And, and in a way that kind of, um, it seems like it also dovetails into what we were talking about on the previous episode, which is you're um, getting the horse to pay attention to you by giving them something to do moving forward, but at your direction and, and maybe distracting them to some extent from whatever it is that they're reacting to. You, you know, I like the way, I like the fact that you touched on that distracting them from something, because let's go back to like the riding these really young cults in particular. I want to give those young colts a lot of freedom to move out. You know, again, forward movement's always my best friend. So I want these young horses to feel free about moving forward. But sometimes they're moving forward and they've got a new passenger on their back. They've got this new saddle on their back and all these things are happening. And sometimes they scare themselves. So as I see their emotions coming up and I see them getting a little bit worried, at that point in time, I'm going to let my experience tell me that, okay, this colt's getting a little bit worried. I'm going to change his mind. Distract him from what he thinks, what he's thinking about that's worrying him and getting refocused on me, getting him refocused on his leader. Now on horses that are older and more experienced, and usually if they buck, it's either provoked by something that we've done or they're in pain, or it's a reaction to something that startled them suddenly. And either way, those things, my question is, well, how did the horse get startled 
was he just totally left alone and allowed to think about all the potentially spooky things out there? If, and that, if that's the case, then yes, we have to keep the horse more focused on us. We also have to be keenly aware of the type of horse we're riding. There's some horses out there that literally go around looking for booger bears, looking for things to be afraid of. So those horses, we have to really work hard to keep them focused on us so that they don't see all the potentially spooky things. Because if they do get frightened by something, perhaps they'll rely back on their instinct, which is to flee and buck. So we have to understand the horse, the type of horse we're riding, and, and keep them focused. But let's take the, the, the real quiet, laid-back kind of horse that probably just doesn't want to buck because it's just way too much effort to do so. Even those horses can be provoked into bucking by either something that really subtly startles them badly or really bad pain. So if we just understand the causes, then we can better address how to how to uh, prevent those things from happening or to change the horse's mind from doing what comes natural for them. Wow. Well, it seems like there's a lot more that could be said there, and I guess we'll have to address that in future episodes. We're already running a little long here, but uh, I think some really worthwhile information there, just the concept of learning to understand why they're doing it so that you know how to deal with it, I think is so key. Well, you know, and I wish, I wish so much, Laura, that there was a simple answer to all of people's issues with their horses. The reality is they're not like computers to where if you do this, then this happens. Yeah. It's just not quite that simple, but, but, it makes it simpler for us if we just work hard to understand the horse for what it is, which is a horse. And then from there, the burden's always on us to get that communication, get that relationship developed, to retrain the horse, to not do the natural things for the horse, but to learn to convert from being a reactor to a responder. But that also puts a burden back on us again that we always have to pay attention. Yeah. We have to be keenly aware. You know, I, I don't boast much about things I've won, things I've accomplished. The one thing I do boast about and I'm very most or, or most proud of is the fact that I've only been hurt doing this one time in my life. I've been starting horses since God knows how long, but I've been riding horses since I was four. At the ripe old age of nine, I got hurt for the very first time and I got hurt very badly, almost got killed. I got kicked in the face by a horse, had to have several facial reconstructive surgeries, but also realized that was from a lack of knowledge and a lack of awareness. I'm not worried and paranoid around horses today. It's just that that lesson at nine taught me to be very keenly aware that they are horses and that they are very big, very strong, very fast, and that they are going to be horses no matter what. They have certain instincts that they are going to act on. You bet. Yeah. And if I'm aware of that, then I know that it's up to me to either prevent myself from being in a situation where I could get hurt by a horse being a horse or to retrain that horse to be a little bit more responsive as opposed to reactive because the reactive horse can hurt us very badly. A trained horse is very, very responsive. Doesn't mean that they're not going to be horses from time to time. It just means that we've spent enough time in training them that they're a little bit more predictable in their behaviors. So with that sort of knowledge, I want people to understand that you can go a lifetime working with your horses without being hurt by them. But we have to be aware. We have to be keenly aware that the responsibility is ours. I want, I want to close in saying this, Laura, that several years ago, I had an opportunity to work with, a, I think, a legendary horseman. And he told me at supper that night after a clinic, he said, you know, Van, the horse is always right. 
And I was kind of right in the peak of my career of starting a lot of performance horses for people, a lot of other trainers. I was starting uh, some cutters and some rainers and a lot of different horses for a lot of different folks. And he told me that. And instinctively, I thought, he's obviously not ridden some of the horses I've ridden. He's not worked with some of the horses I've worked with. But his very next bite of steak, he, he says, the band, the horse is always right because he's either doing what comes natural or he's doing what he thinks we want him to do. So either way, he's right. If we don't like what he's doing naturally, then it's up to us to retrain that. If he's doing something that he thinks we want him to do, and that's not what we want, then we have to retrain the way we communicate to our horse. So either way, he's right. So when I hear people say, well, I've got a horse that bucks, I'm thinking, well, you've got a horse that's being reactive. He's doing what comes natural. We don't like that sort of behavior, so it's up to us to retrain that behavior. If we look at it from that perspective, that the responsibility is ours, because given a choice, the horse wouldn't hang around us except for around feeding time. So we have to realize then that we're the ones that are that's seeking the change. Therefore, it's up to us to present that change to the horse in such a way that he's willing to accept it. And thank goodness most do. I just think that's kind of a good place to stop for now. Sure. Well, and lots more to say that will be addressed in future episodes. I, as always, we invite listeners to contact us with their questions or their their thoughts of things that they'd like us to address in these future episodes. You can do that any number of ways. You can go to the website at vanhargis.com and there's a contact page there and you can send messages through that. You can just email us directly at info at vanhargis.com. And you can also find Van Hargis Horsemanship on Facebook. We love to interact with listeners and, and friends through Facebook. Just search for Van Hargis Horsemanship on Facebook and like that page. That'll also help you keep apprised of what Van's up to these days because we always try to post those things both on the website and on the Facebook page. We also invite you, please, if uh, you enjoy the show, you think others might enjoy it as well, consider going to iTunes and leaving a review there that helps the show become more visible to other people, but it also helps give us, uh, we value that feedback, lets us know if we're on the right track and if Van is covering the things that you want him to cover. And you can find that page in iTunes simply by going to vanhargis.com slash iTunes, and that'll take you right to the page. I think that's pretty much it for this time. Van, any, any last words for the listeners? Not at this time, Laura. I just want them to remember that You know, it's your trail, your journey, and your life, so let's ride every stride.